Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to get into the Word this morning. We are, uh, today is one-third of the way through the fast. And I've got a great testimony uh, that's connected to that. As I was pulling in this morning, I saw a new sign across the street, Taco John's coming soon. (laughs) Woo! Did you feel that? Let's just worship. (laughs) Glory to God. A new Taco John's right in front of the church. I mean, in the summertime, I could walk over there. That is awesome. Well, I digress. So let's get into the word this morning. Uh, I want to, I was planning on preaching on fasting. I usually do during the fast, uh, but three o'clock this morning, I don't know what it is about fasting, but I can't sleep during a fast. It's like I got energy in the middle of the night. Anybody else experience that? It is the weirdest thing. And uh, so I'm like a woman on menopause, you know, I'm up in the middle of the night. And and, uh, so anyway, I digress. Uh, In the middle of the night, the Lord was speaking to me and uh, began to talk to me about this principle. I had planned on preaching on fasting. But he began to talk to me about this principle that both prayer and prophecy, which are very intimately connected, You know, we talk about prophecy around here, and uh, we really need to define what that means because prophecy is declaring the word of the Lord. It's hearing God. Being a prophetic people means we hear God. You know, God didn't lose his voice when the last period of the Bible was printed. God still has a voice. He still speaks to his people. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. He didn't say, my sheep know my word know my Bible. Now that's a good thing. And if you want to be solid in your hearing, then you better be rooted in your reading because that's what keeps you anchored. So anything I hear, I have to compare with the word. But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. God still speaks today. And so prophecy is hearing the word of the Lord and at his prompting, declaring the word of the Lord. And so the Lord began to talk to me in the middle of the night. And uh, so I turned my phone down real low on the light and pulled the blankets over my head and I'm trying to type. And, and, uh, but what he was talking to me about is this, is that both prayer and prophecy are a process. It's a process in which we engage in. And I'm afraid that sometimes we think of prayer and especially prophecy as an event. Oh, I gave a word. But a lot of times you're giving a word isn't enough. You've got to reinforce that word and you continue to speak the word of the Lord at a situation that seems unmovable until it moves. Now I know years ago I'd heard teaching and I think there is a place for this. Let me just give a, a safeguard this principle here. I think there is a place for this but I used to hear a lot of teaching on if you pray for something twice then it's a, a, it's a sign of unbelief. That it, it shows that you have unbelief and you should just be able to pray once and leave it there. And there is a place for that in the Lord if God leads you to. But the more common theme in scripture is that you pray and you keep on praying. 
that you keep petitioning heaven until that thing moves. Now, we've talked a lot about prayer over the years. Many times we've done a lot of series on prayer. Uh, but even, uh, it was the beginning of last year, I believe, probably about a year ago, I think, uh, we did a series on prayer again. And we talked about why we need to pray. And in short, I'll just give you a little, little review here. Since it's been a year, I don't feel like I'm repeating myself too much here. Uh, we talked about how Number one, God delegated the earth to man. Psalm chapter eight, Hebrews chapter two. What is man that thou art mindful of him? This is Psalm eight. Uh, the son of man that you would visit him, you made him a little lower than the angels and put everything under his feet. Hebrews two picks up that and quotes it again in, in Hebrews two, but then it adds this. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to him. And so what we have in Hebrews 2 is a little overlay or an overview of redemptive history. We have creation, God put everything under man's feet. We have the fall, yet at present we don't see everything under man's feet. Then the next phrase is, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. That is the incarnation, and through that we have redemption. And so in Hebrews, or Ephesians rather, chapter 1, I want to say it's verse 20. It's the last two verses in the first chapter of Ephesians, he says this, God has put everything under Jesus' feet, comma, for the church, comma, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so what he's saying is, is that he gave the earth to us, we lost that we abdicated that authority through the fall. Jesus came to fill that role as the first Adam and finish the task the first Adam failed to finish. And then in Christ, in him, we have our authority back. Now what does all that have to do with prayer? It has a lot to do with prayer. Because God will not violate the system he himself set up. John Wesley, the great revivalist, the founder of the Methodist Church, he was a flaming Pentecostal, and uh, John Wesley said this, a famous phrase of his, God does everything through prayer and nothing without it. Now that's a heavy statement. I want you to let that settle in for a minute. Do you really believe that? God does everything through prayer and doesn't do anything without it. What that implies, if old John was right, is that before God acts, he has to initiate some of his servants to begin to intercede. Now, we, we, we used this phrase last year, and just to concisely sum up the, uh, the concept of prayer, we said this, divine intervention only by human invitation. That the only way God's gonna intervene is if we invite him. That's the principle of prayer. And therefore, that should engage our hearts and realize, oh, we got a job to do. Rather than sit down here and wring our hands, why is God allowing this? He's up in heaven saying, why are you allowing it? Are you gonna invite my intervention or not? Now God's gonna do, ultimately he is going to fulfill the book. And we know what happens at the end, we win. But to get there, there's going to be a whole lot of prayer. And in fact, I would propose to you that one of the indications that we are in the latter days of the end times is the rising of the house of prayer across the earth. Just in Iowa, there's probably 10, 15 houses of prayer in activity. And add us into that, because we are a house of prayer. 
Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. He didn't say it would be a house of preaching. Job insecurity for a pastor. But he did say it will be a house of prayer. And so we need to understand, that's why we pray. That explains the concept of why we engage in prayer. What it doesn't explain is why we need to keep on praying. Why can't we just ask once? I'd like that. Let's pray for revival right now and have lunch. No, we're engaged in fasting and contending in prayer. There's really two reasons for that. We're only going to deal with one of them. The, one of the reasons is this, and we're not going to deal with this one, and I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, that we need, as a part of our theology, as a part of our theological reference point, when we're considering these issues, we must keep in mind that there is a very real enemy that is opposing us. There's a very real devil. There's a reason for evil. That evil is not laid at God's feet. It's laid at the enemy's feet. And so we have our idea of God, and we have our idea of man, and then we have our idea of the enemy. And if you remove that picture of the enemy, then things get really dicey. We start laying at God's feet problems that he didn't create. And so we need to understand, the Bible's very clear. There is a devil. There is a... A, an enemy of our soul, the accuser of the brethren. He, these monikers that are, that are given to the enemy really give us insight in his activity. We won't get into that this morning. But I'm just telling you, if you don't have a theology of spiritual warfare, then your theology is insufficient and you are going to find yourself coming up against some things that are really puzzling and can easily offend you. So we need to understand that there is a very real enemy. And uh, I, I tell you what, this, this whole subject of spiritual warfare is something that I've gone after for 35 years now. And I'm, I am constantly morphing in my understanding of this, trying to fill this out. And uh, you know, never, never trust a preacher that never changes his beliefs. If you haven't learned anything new in the last 20 years, well, there's a problem. <laughs> you're not engaging the word. I find myself on, on pretty much a, a very consistent, uh, very consistently I'm reading the word and I'm thinking, God, you can't mean that. That can't be right. And uh, that, I need that to happen because what God is doing is confronting the belief systems of my heart so that I can change to the razor sharp edge of the word and I can, I can align to it, not the other way around. I don't need to align the word with me. Then it has no power. I need to get my life aligned with the word. And so that's, that's one reason. We're not going to get into that today. The other reason that, the, the, uh, that we need to keep on praying, that prayer is not just an event, but it is a process, is that God is doing something in this. There, there's another work that God is doing. And so not everything just happens like that. Often God will invite us into a season of prayer where we engage our heart and we begin to pray. And what we need to understand is what I'm going to tell you this morning. We need to understand that prayer and prophecy are a process. And it doesn't just demand our engagement on the front end. We need to be engaged through the process. And if we don't understand that, we can get very discouraged and lose heart. We can lose our perseverance. 
And if there's ever been a time in our nation where we need people of persevering prayer, it's now. And so I want to, by the grace of God, try to help you understand this. And I am struggling, so let's pray. Father, we just ask, Lord, that your teaching would fall like rain. Lord, we're asking, God, that you would send a spirit of wisdom and revelation into this house this morning. Lord, I thank you that we are not limited to mere human beings speaking from a stage, but your spirit resides within us and goes out from us. And Lord, we ask that the great teacher would teach us this morning. Lord, I ask that you'd use my words to enlighten minds. Lord, help us to discover things that will unlock the passions of our heart and more, more readily engage our hearts in prayer and prophecy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This, this thing, and, and, you know, there's, there's little tributaries we could go down, so I'm just going to acknowledge them, like the whole spiritual warfare thing. There's another tributary we could go down, and I'll acknowledge it, but we're not going to get into this this morning. But there is a work in us that is done through the process of prayer. And we've talked a lot about that. Ben graciously filmed some videos we're putting out on Facebook. And it was funny. Someone said, Pastor, I noticed the first two, you were real exuberant. And then the, the third one, you're like, rrr, rrr. yeah, because the first two were made way in advance. <laughs> then the second one, the rest of them were made during the fast. And I noticed that too. Uh, but we, we and, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> There's a work that's done in us, and, and there's this thing of, of uh, what God does through you, he first has to do in you. You are the first fruits of your answer. And if you don't embody the answer to your own prayer, don't expect it to change anything else. You are the beachhead of God's invasion. And so we need prayer as a process by which God begins to change us and transform us. And so a fast is the same thing. 21 days of going without Taco John's should change you for the better. I hope it does. I'm not interested in doing it if it isn't going to change something. And the first thing that needs to change is me. And so we... We engage in this process, and so often what happens is God will drop a burden in our heart. He'll pull us in through this burden. He'll create a hunger in us so that we're on this journey of prayer. We're fighting for an answer. We're crying out for change, but during that process, God is actually changing us. We've talked about this before, but often when we begin praying for something, we're not even qualified to steward the very thing we're praying to happen. If God were to do it right then, we'd make a mess of it. So what does he do? He wisely brings us, brings us into a process called prayer to transform us. And through this process, we come out the other side and we become the person who can steward the answer. Amen. So that's one reason it's a process. I want to point out a couple of scriptures here this morning. So you know we're a church of the word here. Uh, look, look with me at Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, we're going to go to Ezekiel. Luke 17. Luke 17. Okay. 
or I'm sorry, Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge. Let me, let me read that again. That first one is good. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, this parable, to show them that they should always pray and not get up, give up. He's trying to give them a revelation here. This is why you need to stay engaged. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because he's a king, yet because, of this widow, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's the NIV. Come and attack me. Uh, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. So he's calling the attention of his disciples. Listen to what he said. He answered her not because he was just or he cared about her. He didn't care about justice. What he cared about is being pestered by this widow. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? There are burdens. There are prayer assignments, there are things God will lay on your heart. And if you will begin to petition God day and night about that thing, he will take notice. But it's a process. It's usually not an event. I don't know about you, but I've never prayed for an unsaved loved one and just prayed once and saw it happen. There is a battle that goes on. And I believe that God begins to answer that prayer at the beginning, but the fullness doesn't arrive until the process is done and we're, we're pounding away, okay? So he says, and will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, then he asks this question, will he find faith on the earth. He's tying it to this story. And he's saying that it takes faith to stay in the pocket of prayer. It's not a sign of unbelief to pray once and quit. Or uh, to continue to pray, rather. It's not a sign of faith to just pray once, unless the Lord leads you to do that. And there, is, there are scenarios, there are times where God would lead you to do that. But by and large, the pattern of Scripture is to pray until... And he asked, will he find prayer, faith in all the earth? And it's because there is a discouragement that can settle upon us in those seasons of prayer when we feel like things aren't moving. You remember what Jesus said in regards to Thomas when he came in the room and revealed himself to Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. And he said, put your hands on my side. Put your, hand, your finger in my hand. And then he said, you believe. And he commended him. But then he said, blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. And I'm telling you, that's one of the big uh, challenges of prayer. That when we don't see something happening and we keep in that pocket and we keep pounding and pounding and pounding. And it's like we don't see movement. But that is an act of faith to do so. Let's, let's turn to Ezekiel. Tur turn to chapter 8 first. Let's look at this. 
Oops, I just went to Luke chapter 8. Like you needed to know that. Ezekiel chapter 8. Listen to this is a prophetic encounter that Ezekiel had. And now we're going to look at prophecy as a process. Uh, but understand, prophecy and prayer are very intimately intertwined. And even those who do not have a theology that, that makes room for prophecy in this day and age, you know, cessationists who believe that, is, that, that was ceased at the, the, the close of the canon of Scripture when the final dot was set on the Bible, they, feel like, they believe that those gifts were removed from the church. Even those that believe that, if they really get into intercession, will find themselves in a form of prophecy. Because prophecy and prayer are so intimately intertwined. You could put it this way. Prayer, in a sense, is petition where prophecy is proclamation. Pr prayer is asking God to do something. Prophecy is then declaring that in the earth. It's imposing the word of the Lord on those human circumstances. It's beginning to declare those things. And that's a very important principle. Now that's not, that's not what, all of prophecy in a sense is that, but I'm talking about especially when you're in that pocket of intercession and you're wanting to see things moved, you begin to agree with the word of the Lord and you begin to enforce the word of the Lord through your mouth. Why does that matter? As human beings, for us to say what God said and just reiterate it, it goes right back to Psalm chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 2. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you had visited him? You, put, uh, you made him a little lower than the angels and put everything under man's feet. You do have tremendous authority. As a believer, your authority has been restored to you. And we've talked about this before. And I've kind of feeling a hunch we might need to do another series on authority. But authority can be grown. Just power and authority are two separate forces in the kingdom of God. They're two distinct concepts in the Bible. Now, sometimes the verses... Uh, some verses will translate as power the, what should be translated authority because the context fits. But they're two different things. Power is the ability to make things happen. Power is the ability to do with God what you couldn't do without him. But authority is the authorization from the author. He gives you authority to use that power. And understand, you're not waiting for authority to land on your life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, in Christ, you already have authority. The problem is a lot of us have a gun in our holster we never pull out. We don't, we don't use that authority. More, uh, probably a better illustration, we have a badge on our chest that we don't exercise and say, hey, halt, because I have authority. Your gun would be your power. Your badge would be your authority. And there are levels of authority in a police department, and there's calibers of gun in the holster. Not everybody holds as big a gun as another, and not everybody has the same rank in the spirit. And you can increase the caliber of your gun, and you can increase the rank of your standing in the kingdom. 
You can grow in authority and you can grow in power. We'll, we'll get into that sometime here in the near future, I believe. Uh, we'll we'll kind of try to unpack that. But you have tremendous authority. And the problem is a lot of times we're not exercising the authority that we have. How do you exercise that authority? You, with your mouth, you take a stand in your spirit and you speak it out with your mouth. You make declarations. And you carry authority because of the word of God and because God has delegated that authority to you. So now, uh, in the book of, look, look at it, okay, look, look at verse one uh, of chapter eight in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet. He is, he's gonna share with us here an encounter he has, and I wanna kind of pick up on that, and then we're gonna go to another chapter in Ezekiel. But he has this encounter with God. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me there. He remembers the exact date of his encounter. Ezekiel did what Pastor Dave tells you to do. Keep a prophetic journal. Write down what the Lord is telling you. Write down, if you have a vision, write it down. If you have, if God impresses, if he speaks to you out of his word and something jumps off the page and it really ministers to you, write those things down and keep a portfolio because it's part of your history. And so Ezekiel has this, I, I, I tell you, I'll, I'll find uh, documents on my computer looking for a document. I'll start reading. I thought, oh, I forgot all about that. Man, I'm glad I wrote it down. That was powerful. <laughs> it's some encounter I had with the Lord. So I want to encourage you. Uh, so he says, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me. Verse, uh, verse two, I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. Wow. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. That's a pretty intense encounter. This guy who's fire from down. And, he, and, and listen to Ezekiel's language. He said, what looked like the appearance of a hand and the appearance of a man. There's this vagueness about his language. Why? The closer Ezekiel gets, A.W. Tozer pointed this out in one, I think it was his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy. He talked about how in the book of Ezekiel, the closer Ezekiel got to the throne, the more vague and the more like as, and the appearance of like as. And he, it, there was, because he didn't have language, he's grasping to comprehend and to articulate what he's experiencing. I'm jealous. He stretched out his, what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head, the hair of his chinny chin chin, no, the hair on the top of his head. Then the spirit lifted him up between heaven and earth and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court who, uh, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel and in the vision I had seen in the plain. Okay, so we're not gonna get into what that passage entails. There's, he, he unpacks that vision uh, later on in, you know, in the, the, the following verses. What I wanted to point out to you was this. Ezekiel himself was a, 
an intercessor. He was a prophet. He's known one of the, as one of the major prophets. But he was also an intercessor. And that language is so vivid. The hand of the Lord reached out this man, the flaming waist from there down. And he glowed and he reached out and it was something that looked like a hand, grabbed him by the hair and took him over Jerusalem. That's intense, man. Can you imagine you're hanging by your hair? He's suspended between heaven and earth. And I love that picture, that language, because that is the language of intercession. Our role as believers are to be those living suspended between heaven and earth. In a very real sense, we can't fully be comfortable in either. Because as men and women, heavenly people, we live in this world and we see so many things grieve us, but we can't go because we carry a burden for earth. And so we can't fully enjoy going to heaven yet. It's like, God, we want to see those two things merge. We want to see heaven come to earth. And so he lives there suspended between the two. It's an intense picture. But I believe it speaks of that intercessory role mixed with that prophetic role that Ezekiel will fill. So let's go to chapter 37. Okay, the hand of the Lord is upon me. Again, this is verse one. And he brought me out by the Spirit of God and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and saw a great, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you are alone know and I would propose to you that was a very wise answer I can't help but think that Ezekiel was wondering who the bones belonged to and wondering if it was the last prophet that got that question asked you know so rather than try to answer he said you know Lord but in reality what the Lord was doing is the Lord was confronting his heart and saying can they live and Ezekiel said, Lord, you alone know. And then the Lord said, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now just pause there. I, I love that because Ezekiel did not have the faith to see these bones live. When we read these texts and we've heard these stories so many times, some of us, that we just kind of brush over. You got to think, he's in a valley full of parched, bleached human bones that's got to be a jarring sight and the lord's taking him i don't know if he's still by his hair or what but he's taking him through these bones back and forth and the lord says can they live and ezekiel essentially says god i don't know but you do and that was enough to enable the lord to use ezekiel now that needs to encourage you because Ezekiel didn't have the faith. His faith was not enough to say, yes, these bones can live. But his faith was enough to say, God, you know. I trust you, whatever you say. And that is the baseline of faith. That's all God needed. This great man of God, who, to whom a whole book of the Bible is attributed, bears his name, and he didn't have the faith for something God asked him for. Man, I'm thinking, I could fit in the Bible. This is good news. But God says, okay, 
He says, Lord, you know. And the immediate thing the Lord says is, I want you to prophesy to him. And here's what he says. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry. One, two, there we go. Woo! Man, I feel more authoritative already. Okay, the problem is if you record me with a handheld, it's going, because I use my hands. So then he said, Prophesy to these bones and say, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will, breath, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you. Cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now, stop there. Listen what he said. God already told him, this is what's going to happen. This will happen. You're going to prophesy to it, and it's going to happen. Well, if God had already determined it's going to happen, then why didn't God just do it? Why did he have to have Ezekiel enlisted to prophesy? The answer to that question defines your role in the earth. We need to understand that God operates through human vessels. If we look at a situation and we want to see God change it, then you are the key. If there's a desire to see it changed, that is the first indication God's calling you to pray. And it was through the human declaration that God began to move. Remember Chris Vallotton, many of you know who he is. He had, ta he had told this story about this young couple he was having lunch with. And, and uh, while they were eating, the Lord spoke to him and said, tell them they're going to have a baby. Tell them in nine months they'll have a kid or something like that. And uh, he, said, he said, Lord, I, I, we tell people don't prophesy that kind of stuff. You know, I, I don't want to tell them. Lord, I'll, I'll just pray that they will, you know. And the Lord spoke to him and said, if you don't tell them, it won't happen. So he said, okay. And he stepped out and he told them. And within, you know, the allotted time, he ended up, they ended up having a child. I remember we were down in Columbia. There was this precious couple. They had been trying to have a, a child for a long time. And uh, thank you, Josh. They were, they were trying to have a child for a long time. And uh, we were in this... Uh, we were kind of talking about some of this stuff Wednesday night. If you were here, this ties in what we were talking about. But we were in this big meeting, this Colosseum kind of place. And man, God had swept through. There were tremendous healings and all this stuff had happened. It was towards the end. And uh, I laid hands on him and I said, you will have a baby. Uh, you know, you're going to have a baby. Da -da 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 -da. And I uh, stopped praying. I thought, oh man, you know, you kind of think, what did I say that for? It was interesting, one year to the day, 
they wrote me and showed me their newborn child. It was born one year from the day. And they had tried to have children. Thank you. Difficulties this morning. There we go. Thank you, Josh. We got a good team, don't we? All right. And so, then he said, prophesy to the breath. So he prophesies to the bones, there's noise, there's movement, but there's no life. Catch that. There's noise, there's movement, but there's no life. Now there's two common human responses to that kind of scenario. God gives a promise, we go into prayer, we prophesy, we make those declarations, and there's noise, and there's movement, but there's no life. We got a partial fulfillment, but not the fullness. There's movement in the situation, but it's not to the degree that we've been crying out for. And there's two common human responses to that. One is that we settle for false finish lines. We're like, wow, there's noise and movement. Did you, we want to put it on our Instagram. Look at this. There's, this used to be dry bones, and now there's skin on them. They're just a bunch of dead bodies. But there's, there's noise and movement. We, we settle for a partial fulfillment. The other common human response, and I would dare say this is more true of Heartland. I think, because it's true of me, and I'm a Heartlander. I, I can get discouraged when I hear what the Lord said the Lord said, these bones will live. He tells me to engage in this process. And after I've engaged myself and did what he said, it's still not the fullness of what he said. So what does God tell him? He said, prophesy again. The prophecy that released noise the rattling of the bones, the movement, they begin to come together and connect with each other. Skin, tendons begin. That must have been one wild vision. Can you imagine? Tendons start to form, and I guess organs and all that stuff, and all the shriek wrapped with human skin, and they're laying there. And, uh, and then the Lord says, prophesy again. Do you notice that this prophecy was not an event? wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't, okay, we prophesied, well. And it wasn't a sign of unbelief that he re-engaged prophecy and began to proclaim the word of the Lord. I want to tell you that there are things in your life that God wants to speak to you about, but he also wants you to speak about them. He wants you to begin to declare what God has told you, and you begin to enforce that thing, and that will produce movement in the earth. You begin to make those declarations. My dad, we were on the phone the other day, and he was telling me about this, this young woman who got pregnant, uh, couldn't raise the child on her own. She, she tried to for about three months, and she knew, I can't do this. This child deserves better. Just her, I don't know the details of her situation. So she put the child up for adoption, and she penned out a letter to give to the child when he was old enough to read it. And she wrote this letter, and what she wrote was, my, my prayer is that you would be a man of God, that you would, be, you would be a man of the word, that you would love the word of God. And I'm praying that you would be a worship leader. And she wrote all this stuff and she wrote, sealed it in a letter. And when this couple adopted her son, uh, she gave them the letter. Well, they were believers. And so they raised him in, in the church. When he was 12 years old, 
He asked, they, they said, what do you want for your birthday? He wanted a Bible, 12-year-old. That's pretty radical for a 12-year-old. That's what I want. They said, we could get this and that. No, I want a new Bible. He said, I devoured that Bible over the next number of months. I just devoured it. God was answering his mother's prayers. This young man grew up to be a worship leader. Anybody ever heard of Jason Upton? One of the most anointed Holy Ghost glory guys. I mean, tremendously gifted musician. Meanwhile, his birth mama, who knows nothing of what, she doesn't know whatever happened to him. She has no idea. She's still praying for a boy. But she's going to this church, and she would always go into the prayer room because they would play this certain guy's music. And she would soak to his music. And she said, oh, man, there's an open heaven in here. That, that music just ministers to me. Meanwhile, Jason Upton never opened that letter until he was 30 years old. And he decided, you know what, it's time to open the letter. And he opened it, and he read it, and he was dumbfounded. Because everything he was walking in, his mama had written as a three-month-old child and prayed over him. He finally found her. He reached out to her and he told her that I'm your son that you adopted out. And when he said his name, she about fell off his chair because she loved his music. Isn't that an amazing story? I'm telling you, prayer matters. And here was a woman who persevered in prayer. She couldn't see what was happening. She had no viewpoint in there. But in faithfulness, will he find faith in the earth? He will with that one. She's praying and praying over this child. God, shape him. And she had an intuitive, prophetic sense. This is what he was created for. It's an amazing story. I'm telling you, God's... God wants to use your prayer. He wants to use your mouth in proclamations. And whether you like it or not, it's called prophecy. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear what God is saying and begin to declare that over your situations. And don't quit until you see the full breakthrough. Keep on keeping on. Keep punching on that thing. I tell you what, my mama, my mama, Faye Olson, she is a woman of faith. She's, she's very, you know, she's, she's not, she, she'll, she'll get in the pulpit sometimes down at the Atoma Church, but she's, she's not really been the preacher in the family, and she's produced a lot of them, but she's, she's not, but I tell you what, she was a woman of faith, and when I was running from God, she just would, like a bulldog, just latched on to God and wouldn't let go for her boys, and she prayed me in. And I'm telling you, there, there, were, there were times I'd come and be boisterous about things, and uh, she would just tell the Lord, God, it's not right. I, I, I came home, and I was bragging about I had steak for dinner. I know. And my mom and dad were going through a very hard time. The, the economy had collapsed in Ottumwa. My dad had lost. They repossessed his washer and dryer. He, he had a, a construction business. The truck broke down. He went to get it fixed. And in order to pay for the truck, he had to sell the truck. And uh, they, he, didn't, he, he literally said, I, had, I didn't have two dimes to rub together. And then his arrogant son comes in. Yeah, I had steak last night. And uh, so what did my mom do? She went to Jesus. And she said, it isn't right that my unbelieving son is eating better than we are because of what it makes him think of you. She started to pray. The next week in church, 
Some prophetic guy came through First Open Bible in Ottumwa and just pointed them. I said, I want that couple to stand right there. And he began to declare the goodness of God over them. And then he said, and the Lord tells me they're going through a very hard time. He said, I want everybody to bring food tonight. And at the night service, we're going to give them some food. On the way home, Christopher's like 12. And uh, he said, do you think we'll be able to fit it all in the car? My dad kind of rebuked him. Christopher, you know, we'll be grateful for it. <laughs> they had, I think it was like three carloads. And I just happened to come in the door when mom's unpacking it. I'm going to visit my parents. And old man, mom was boasting in God. And I rubbed my face in it. And uh, just those kind of things. When I got saved, I was 18 years old when I met Jesus, when I came back to Jesus, when I surrendered, when I, you know, came off the streets. My brother John ran from God well into his 30s and uh, ended up in a psych ward. And we, I, my faith was shook. I really didn't know. He was very demonized. I did not know if there was hope. You go over and try to witness to him and he'd talk about how, you know, aliens and he's going to take a... And just, you know, crazy stuff. His mind was not right. But my mom never doubted. She was telling me the other day, I got a prayer that I prayed over John all the time. I want to share it with you. And we're seeing it. My brother, who was just fried on drugs, been living for the Lord for years now, for almost like 20 years. Married a school teacher, got a little boy, got a beautiful plot of ground out in the country, acres and acres of ground. It's an amazing thing. But my mom did not quit. She held on. She knew that God would not allow her son to go to hell. She just kept pounding on heaven's door. If you've got, you got a family member that you're real burdened for, that you want to see God move, I want you to stand right now. Father, we just cry out to you right now. Just pray. Father, we bring them before your throne. Lord, and not in some despair, but in great hope. Because, Lord, we know you are the God who answers prayer. Lord, we know we are praying your will when we bring them before your throne. And, Lord, we declare over their lives salvation. These bones shall live. These bones shall live. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins will have the spirit of the living God breathed into them. Lord, we declare over our loved ones, God, that you will redeem them. They are not too far gone. We thank you for it, Lord. And now, Lord, we ask that you would send your gathering angels. Lord, Matthew, I want to say it's 25, the angels that gather. Lord, we ask that you would send them to do their work. And Lord, that they would bring in a harvest in the, in the form of these loved ones. God, bring them conviction. Open the eyes of their understanding. Lord, strip away the blinders spoken of in 2 Corinthians 4. Lord, that they would see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Yes. And now, Lord, I pray for each one that is standing this morning. God, that you would strengthen their hearts, God. Give them a holy resolve. Lord, give them great hope. 
Lord, that we would not waver, that you would put a hope, Lord, a faith in our hearts so secure, Lord, that we would not doubt. Strengthen our hearts this morning. And Lord, help us to see the authority that you've given unto us. And Lord, help us to use it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.